the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. For three of our daily three-hour tour, it is a delight to welcome back an old friend and a great scholar, Jonathan Tobin. Jonathan is the editor-in-chief of JNS.org. He's also a senior contributor to The Federalist and a columnist for The New York Post. The most recent piece um, that struck my um, interest and I wanted to share with you with him is his piece over at JNS.org, Why the Double Standard on West Bank Violence. I'm always curious about what the media reports about cities uh, in the West Bank around this time of year. Jonathan took it even one step bigger. Jonathan, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Thanks for being with us. Well, thanks, Beth. It's great to be on with you. You betcha. You've never written anything that didn't make me smarter, and uh, I just want to thank you for that and thank you for this well, piece. Thank you. you betcha. The double standard on West Bank violence. Uh, what are you getting at here, brother? Well, I, what I'm uh, referencing is that in many of the mainstream media publications that cover the Middle East, the networks, um, as well as what's been coming out of the State Department, there's this new focus on that there's this rash of violence of Jews who live in the Jewish communities or so-called settlements in the West Bank, Judea, Samaria, as they're originally known, against local Arabs. And that this uh, this is you know just it's, it's a disgrace and it's way up and what's behind it and what does it say about Israel and um, you know it sounds terrible you know nobody wants to see you know people just being you know attacked for seemingly no reason and uh, what what's about what's up with it mm-hmm. well the the explanation here is that yes you know a very tiny percentage of the population on the West Bank are like a tiny percentage um, of people anywhere. Um, you know, some of them are hooligans or lawbreakers. Yeah, there is an element of uh, contumacy, yes. Of course, yeah, any mean, society would have one, you bet. Right. I mean, you know, there are no more people who live in Israel or no more perfect than people who live anywhere else. So, you know, we're all human beings. Um, you know, some of these incidents are basically property disputes between Palestinian villagers who are sort of trying to claim land um, that they actually, to which they have no legal title, which are adjacent to some of the Jewish communities. And, you know, like it's like a property dispute. Mm-hmm. You know, people people get riled up, and sometimes, you know, in, in this, you know, sometimes they, they get violent with each other. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the extent that there are Jews who live there that are breaking the law, you know, they should be punished, and frankly, they are. But the reason why this story, this sort of meme that's been, uh, you know, promoted lately, is really distort a distortion and misleading, is that it, as the media often does, it cherry picks something and takes it completely out of context. In all of this last year, there were a few hundred incidents or reported incidents of violence of Jews against Arabs. Now. Assuming that they're all legitimate, assuming that the Jews are in the wrong in all these incidents, 
So that's totally wrong and it's totally bad. And mm-hmm. I'm never going to defend it, nor would any reasonable person know it. You, you tend to be against vigilante. Yeah, yeah. You tend to be but, against vigilanteism. I get that. Sure. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. However, the truth about what goes on in the West Bank is that there are hundreds of incidents of violence of Arabs against Jews every month. Not every year, yep. every month. Right. There are incidents of stone throwing, firebombing, and yes, shootings and murders, including one just last week, um, where a, a car of religious students was basically uh, shot in what, you know, sort of a drive by incident. One of them were killed, one of them was killed, others were wounded. This happened routinely. Never makes the papers here. Um, Never makes the papers. And it rarely, if ever, is reported. It has to be just like a complete, you know, it has to be, the, the casualty toll has to be immense for it to be reported, whereas an incident of stone throwing where Jews threw stones at Palestinians, that makes the New York Times. Mm-hmm. That makes CNN. Mm-hmm. Whereas, Palestine, you know, stone throwing of Palestinians against Jews along the roads or, you know, in, in various confrontations, that's kind of like the Palestinian national sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens more or less every day. So there's something really wrong here. Why the double standard? And you know, my you know, my answer, the obvious answer is twofold. Number one, it's an attempt to delegitimize Israel. It's an attempt to cherry pick something to make the Jews look bad, to take it out of context, to sort of besmirch them because of the activities of a few, as if everybody's responsible for a few lawbreakers. You know, would we do that to any other community? Um, and on the other hand, why does why is no one upset about the routine violence of Arabs against Jews? As I say, hundreds every month. And there, the answer is, you know, I, I, I it's a, it's a hard thing to say, but it's basically racist. I was going to say it's um, a, it's a form of bigotry. I think you and I are on the same right, page here. I'll let you explain of low it. Low expectation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where you. Say about a population, well, they don't know any better. Right. You know, or we you know, expect this like behavior thugs. of them, right? Yeah, we right. expect this. We expect right. the Jews to be, to be nice. Mm-hmm. We, we don't ex- have any expectations of, of, of Palestinian Arabs, and that's, that's really an insult. I it mean, is. Palestinian Arabs don't deserve that. You know, if, if, if they are supporting violence, they're doing it for political reasons, which is, is part of it. You know, it's not because they have, you know, they're, they're not equal to Americans or Jews or Europeans. I mean, that's just disgusting. The, you know, and, and that's at the bottom of this really ridiculous um, example of media bias, as well as the bias of the State Department and the United Nations. Yeah, there's an element to, Jonathan Tobin is our guest. Jonathan, do you agree there's an element to a phrase maybe uh, we were more familiar with 30 years ago and before. It's kind of fallen out of favor, but I think it's a good phrase for what's going on here. There's an element of collective responsibility here, too, isn't there? It's another form of bigotry. It's taking the actions of one or a few and extrapolating it to blame or indict an entire community. Isn't that kind of what's going on every time they highlight the uh, the, the sporadic violence of Jews on Arabs uh, versus Arabs yeah, on Jews? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's- of course it is. It, it, it's a, you know, basically, um, if any any member of that community misbehaves, somehow that invalidates the legitimacy 
of uh, the Jewish population, mm-hmm. of, you know, the seven million Jews who live in Israel, mm-hmm. a few hundred, you know, bad apples, or mm-hmm. a few dozen bad apples committing some some crime. That that you know, now would we do that, or would or could people get away with doing that against another population? Um, you know, our our newspapers, you know, our, our mainstream media won't even use the word terrorist, right? When referring to terrorists. Mm-hmm. Because that's too judgmental. That's right. That's right. <laughs> We're getting a little bit of a um, of a small taste of it here. You may not agree with me, but we're getting a little bit of a taste of it here. I just had a student, uh, a college student on before you, Jonathan, who had was forced to take a class at uh, American University. She happens to be uh, from Phoenix and a uh, Caucasian, where they were forced to read about Caucasian traits uh, that, uh, you know, how you know you're in the in the, in the midst of white supremacy um, traits. Well, I think you, we've you know where I'm that, going, you know. I think, you know, the whole, I mean, it's, it's a theme that I write about all the time. Yeah, I know yeah. you're concerned about it. In some ways, it's the most important issue that Americans are dealing with. It is this critical race theory indoctrination, mm-hmm. which is happening in our schools and higher education as well. Blaming an entire class education. of people for the behavior of one or you know, exactly. for Exactly. And it's, a, it's a way of right. classifying all of us as, you know, as a race. We're mm-hmm. not judging people as individuals. And a way of just basically explaining everything and um, as they say, delegitimizing American history, um, the legitimacy of, of the whole arc of American history. Um, there's nothing more profoundly dangerous to the future of this country. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'll sit here as my, my daughter likes to say, just don't sit there and quote yourself. But <laughs> I had a piece in, in the... Um, I think John Adams said that to Benjamin Franklin in 1772, which is where he got it from. But um, that in the Washington Examiner, when I, I did a review essay about um, a great new book by the great British historian Andrew Roberts about George III and, and compared it to the, you know, the 1619 Project yeah. of the New York Times and you know what revisionist history means, and it is about, you know, it's about changing the way we think of ourselves as a country. Right. And the point is, if we don't believe ourselves to have come into existence as a nation fighting for liberty, then I don't really think that we'll fight for liberty abroad again, mm-hmm. as we did throughout the 20th century, basically saving Western civilization. And I don't think we'll fight to defend it at home. And honestly, the last couple of years you know, kind of confirms that conclusion. You know, there's another story of violence out of the Middle East and the West Bank, particularly, that doesn't get covered very much. And it used to, actually. You used to see a story here and there about it. Now, nowhere. But if you do enough research, you can find it, that there are still some Christian residents in some of the biblical territories of the West Bank, places like Bethlehem that are kind of famous this time of year. For those that haven't fled... I'm looking at a story in the Jerusalem Post about riots in Bethlehem, not caused by the Jews, by the way, that have Christians in fear of celebrating Christmas. Yeah, there in are public. no Jews actually in Bethlehem, right? Um, not anymore, right? There were two thousand years, and there's ago. a lot less Christians actually, too than there used to be. Yes, Bethlehem um, used to be basically a Christian city, right? Um, uh, south of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. um, since um, in, in the, basically in the last thirty years since the Palestinian Authority took over as part of an effort to create peace in the Middle East, as we may recall. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the Christian population has been targeted for violence. Um, sort of the corrupt Palestinian Authority government has undermined them. And Christians have fled. Bethlehem, they've fled throughout the Palestinian territories. And, um, you know, their plight there is not good because you're dealing, you know, there used to be a, a, a Christian community inside Gaza. Well, yep. how, you know, how many Christians do you think are left in Gaza now that it's ruled by the Islamists of Hamas? Two they more than there are not. Jews, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well, yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So there are no Jews for right. sure. Right. But there really aren't any more uh, Christians there either because, because these Muslim Islamist groups target Christians. They, they regard them as a, you know, an illegitimate religious minority in their midst that have no rights. And, you know, it's no place to live. And so they, you know, many of them come to the United States. Um, so, you know, it, 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 but the irony is that this doesn't get covered much in the Western media because it's always, well, somehow it's the fault of Israel. Somehow it's the fault of the Jews. Well, you know what? Israel and the Jews haven't been attacking the, 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 you know, the, the Christians of Bethlehem. No. They've been chased out by their, unfortunately, by their Muslim neighbors. Yep. Um, it's 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 a slow moving ethnic cleansing there, and you know part and another part of the problem is that some of the, you know the Christian religious authorities uh, in the churches are are frankly afraid to speak. Yep. Um, the Vatican has been afraid to yep. speak out on behalf of Christians in in the Muslim world, and I understand in part why because there are a lot of hostages. Yep. You know. If, if the if uh, the Catholic Church really came down heavy uh, on some of you know some of these countries, um, the local Catholics would be in big trouble, and you know it's sort of they they're there and they're sort of the hostages of the Palestinian Authority, and they have to toe the party line and blame whatever happens to them on Israel rather than on the people who are actually doing it, you know, and at Christmas time. Um, when this used to be, you know, a thing, the one day of the year, well, where the Palestinian Authority sort of pays, uh, you know, some some respect to the Christian community in Bethlehem or throughout the West Bank, you know, and it's part of, with you know, Mahmoud Abbas and before him Yasser Arafat would go through this thing where he would say that uh, Jesus was a Palestinian. Oh yeah, that. Mm-hmm. And you know, which is, you know, it's so silly; it's not even worth discussing. No, it's so but silly. it's it's also you know what it covers up is religious persecution. Yep. And, you know, one of the biggest problems across the world right now is religious persecution. Yep. Christians in the Muslim world, and, you know, just to get back to our friends at the State Department, the current crew in the State Department has completely changed the emphasis in terms of their human rights advocacy. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who served under uh, President Trump, emphasized religious persecution and trying to reach out to Christian communities and to help them. Um, the current crew under Antony Blinken and the rest of the Obama administration alumni club think that was a mistake. They they don't they don't want to talk about religious persecution anymore. And that's a shame and it's a disgrace, quite frankly. Well said, Jonathan. Thank you for keeping your eye on it. Thank you for putting your pen to it. I really appreciate it. Um, busy time of year. Really appreciate your time as well as your brain and your pen. Jonathan Tobin. Uh, Folks, you can uh, read this article yourselves at JNS.org. Send it around. It's It's important people know these things. Just because it isn't reported doesn't mean 
it isn't happening. And just because it's reported a certain way doesn't mean it's the whole truth. You want the whole truth, you read Jonathan Tobin, at least when it comes to these kinds of things. Jonathan, thank you, sir. Thank you, Seth. Great being on with you. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, the anti-penultimate day before Christmas, 602 Catherine has been patiently on hold in Phoenix. Thanks for waiting, Catherine. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. We were talking about indoctrination, yeah. and when you were talking about it at the college level, yeah. we also have here in Arizona... And happening at the K through 12 level. You bet. And beyond Arizona. You betcha. You betcha. You're, yeah. And so we have a very important race coming up with the superintendent of public instruction. I agree. I have had uh, I have had one of those candidates, uh, the one I'm endorsing, Sharice uh, appear on. Uh, several times, uh, and uh, and she she will she. I recommend people go to her website. Uh, she's about parental rights. She's about uh, sponsoring and helping in any way we can to eliminate critical race theory. It's teaching children to re-racialize themselves in a way that has been the project of this country to end for at least sixty years. It is undoing at least at least sixty years of civil rights work. What critical race theory is doing in our schools. Yes, and as an experienced teacher, a veteran teacher here in Arizona, I would say it's critical that we have somebody in office who has experience. Catherine, let me let me ask you this as a teacher in Arizona. Do you see, as a teacher in Arizona, you see critical race theory being taught when a lot of people are telling you, oh, it's not being taught in the elementary schools? Do you see it differently? Well, our group, the Classroom Code of Ethics PAC, we do have evidence and as you're aware, we are running a citizens' initiative petition a while back ago that one of the candidates very much dismissed us when we met with her face-to-face. That was Representative Udall. And respectfully, her basis for doing so was that the State Board of Education could handle it. <laughs> well, in our opinion as teachers and veteran seasoned teachers, we're advocating for someone that has experience in the role stopping and ending the political bullying. Mm-hmm. The 1619 project is happening. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. I, yeah, you're bet, you bet it is. There are schools in Arizona that have adopted the 1619 project. Schools in Phoenix. Yeah, you're right. And our GOP representatives have stood up and asked for it to be defunded, specifically Mark Fincham and John Fillmore. Mm-hmm. So now what we're seeing is working with Tom Horn, we're getting some conversation started with our conservative teachers here. They're quite insightful because you will remember his case in Tucson. I very much remember that. Yes, the uh, yes, I very much the un-American studies case. You bet. Yes, and so someone with experience in that caliber and that pedagogy is what we're seeking inside this classroom. Parents are now speaking up at their school boards professionally and respectfully, and politely speaking to these board members about the indoctrination that's happening. And so what you'll notice is that the acronyms are changing. And having walked away from the Red Med movement and a co-founder of it, I was able to help parents and conservative teachers like-minded 
understand that this is a form of indoctrination when you have acronyms such as SEL. Can I, can I take a quick break and, and ask for your patience one more time and come back sure. with you on this when we come back? This is such insightful information, Catherine. I really do appreciate it. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Catherine in Phoenix is uh, a teacher and uh, telling us a little bit about uh, the uh, problems in in education in Arizona, specifically with regard to critical race theory known as CRT, also known as CRT. Uh, Catherine, uh, you were telling me about the acronyms. You were making a point about acronyms. Go ahead, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Thank you. So a lot of us are talking and gathering information, and as we meet talk, we're talking about these acronyms such as SEL, social emotional learning. And you'll also see it's called CRP, which is cultural responsive pedagogy, which is basically the pronoun. Mm -hmm. And in my 20 years of teaching, we've never really had to hit this head on in our practice. We've been able to do, you know, the academics, the rigor. And now it's almost as if we're being slowed down in our academic practices do a timeout for this. And the CRT, which you hear uh, numerous times, a couple of the districts here in Arizona are actually adopting that into our performance-based pay, which is not what the taxpayers voted for when they gave us the 301 money. Right. So that brings us back to really needing somebody experienced in that role of a superintendent of public instruction. Especially when you're dealing with now we have ESSER funds. And ESSER stands for the Elementary Secondary School Emergency Fund that came with COVID. And that's that wonderful COVID money that's supposed to go to give us our sanitary wipes, our cleaning and disinfecting in the room. So you have a lot of fires going on right now. And conservative teachers are really pulling together now, which is fabulous. And we're saying, hey, we need somebody in this role that's experienced, that knows our pedagogy, that's walked in our shoes, because we're really working across the party lines now. We see people coming out of the Red for Ed movement, joining us and saying, let's just get back to academics. Uh, which I think would be uh, the, the best first reform. Let me ask you this, Catherine. Did I hear you right that you said you two once were part of the Ed, uh, Red for Ed reform movement? Yes. It what was what no led you out of it? What woke you up to wanting to leave it? Well, it was never really about a wage increase. It was always about the American, or what was the Arizona Educators Association hijacking it from the grassroots of the teachers. Mm-hmm. It was a campaign strategy for their proposition. Mm-hmm. And when that got discovered and that we were being left out, people were taking off their T-shirts and they lost gas fast. Yeah. And that was because teachers were used. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, teachers have good hearts. We want to go in and we want to solve problems. And we want to help those youth aspire. Mm -hmm. And by being used by an association was disenchanting for some. And you can see that in their numbers of their membership right now. And I believe recently there's an article out there with NEA. You know, people are walking away because... It's not the heart of our profession. The no. heart of our profession is a calling, and that's public servant leadership. And when you hear teachers are leaving our state now, that's unfortunately because they're being slowed down. They're not able to teach their academic rigor, yep. their lesson plans that they've planned. 
they're being told to indoctrinate and push a political agenda. There's a few of us that are staying, and we're not going to go anywhere because we want to protect education in our state, and that's what we'll do with the right leadership in place. Bless you, Catherine. One last question, if I could. Uh, to those who say, you know the talking point, oh, CRT is a law school thing. That's, that's really a right-wing talking point that it's in our elementary schools. You say what? I say they need to get in there and ask for the curriculum. Yeah. They need to get in there. They need to do the Freedom of Information Act. And if they don't know how to reach out to us on Twitter or on any of our Facebook pages, and we will help those parents. We'll help them um, from being bullied because basically when parents go to the front office, they don't get the best customer service, unfortunately. They have to go through a bunch of hoops before they can come into our classrooms. And rightfully so, they have to have a background check to come in our classroom. Sure. But we want, we want to meet with those parents. We want to help them. Good. We have the tools, and we want to get back to teaching. And that's why we ran the Classroom Code of Ethics to end the political bullying of children. And this race is going to be critical for the superintendent of public instruction, and we are excited that we're going to have someone with education pedagogy up there in that office who's managed it before and can bring us back to alternative pathways of education. Catherine, thank you uh, for your call. Thank you uh, for your patience. Thank you for what you're doing for our children, which really is for our community, which really is for our country. Uh, teachers like that are, what, are who are going to lead us out of the problems we're in. They didn't happen. They didn't come overnight. She's right. Catherine's right. Teachers go into the profession for a reason. A lot of them go in to teach children what they're trained in. A lot of them go in to teach children ideology. More of the first, less of the second. Thank you, Catherine. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Earlier, people asked if they could hear a little more. Earlier, I uh, was playing excerpts from an interview I did with Bill Bennett, uh, Bill Bennett from his podcast, which will air in full on Monday. We were given a few excerpts. Uh, we recorded it today. He, Bill is interviewing me. We're talking about a few issues uh, that um, that uh, his listeners had asked him to weigh in on, and he brought me on to discuss them with him. We're talking a little bit uh, about COVID here. Uh, Bill, do you want to uh, go ahead and play this just a little bit? Get a test to see if you have Omicron. Or if you don't get a test to see if you have Omicron, but you have the symptoms of Omicron, the answer is the same. Well, see, even here, this is a good example of it. There is no test you can take to tell you if you have Omicron. Right. There is no test. We're already replacing it with COVID. The way we find out if you have the Omicron variant of COVID is actually pretty difficult. And no one can really tell an individual whether that's what that whether that's the variant they have. The CDC analyzes variants through a through a very technically uh, technically complicated system. Parenting uh, magazine has a really good article. uh, Excuse me. Prevention magazine has a very good article on it that came out yesterday on how they do this. But anyone who tells you they have the Omicron variant, ask them how they know. Ask them how they know, not to make a fool of them, but to just take a little bit of the sting out of Omicron. Israel yesterday made headlines all over the world for having its first Omicron death. Today, it pulled it back and said, oops, sorry, Delta. Um, 
it's 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 impossible okay. for doctors to know or for individuals to know if you actually have the Omicron variant of the COVID virus, unless you spend an awful lot of work and time to find out okay. with your doctor, and it takes a few several days. But my point is the regimen. Well, the way they do it, the technical word is sequencing. Sorry. The regimen is the same whether you test positive or just feel that you've got it at home without testing. Rest, aspirin, liquids, hydration, blah, blah. It's the same thing. No point in getting the test. I agree with you, unless you uh, unless you're of course concerned about going um, into an event that requires that you be vaccinated. This is an interesting thing, actually. A lot of events, concerts, venues, uh, they require vaccination, and if you can't show proof of vaccination, some of them will do free on-site testing. Uh, you know, rapid testing, free on-site. Sometimes maybe not free. Do you realize that the people that are testing negative and going into that venue? are safer than the people who are vaccinated because the people who are vaccinated who aren't being tested that day, that hour, that moment, they may very well have COVID. We know they can transmit it. We know the guy who doesn't have it and just tested negative can't. It's pretty upside down. Lots of inconsistencies, lots of upside down. Tell us about how this fever um, pitch about uh, COVID and now Omicron um, has affected us, particularly our children. Well, this is a really very sad and long story, and maybe that's the ultimate story of the year, Bill. Um, the first thing I would say, you know, George, uh, Churchill and Roosevelt, sorry about that, let me kill my phone. Churchill and Roosevelt talked about what they would be calling, what the historians would be calling what we now call World War II, and Churchill said we could call it the preventable war because it didn't have to happen. I think we could say the same thing about what we saw with children. Uh, About three weeks ago, the current U.S. Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, issued uh, an advisory on on the youth mental health crisis that was exacerbated by COVID-19 with all kinds of indicia, uh, mental harm, uh, ED uh, visits, emergency department visits, substance use, um, depression, anxiety, all that kind of thing. He didn't have to do this because those things didn't have to happen. And they didn't have to happen because we were talking about it in March of 2020 and being censored for raising those concerns. Eleanor McCants Katz was the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services for Mental Health under Donald Trump. She may be one of the most well-credentialed people to be talking about this. She has an MD in psychiatry and a PhD in epidemiology, Senate confirmed. She gave a massive speech on the warnings, uh, massive, a major speech on the warnings of uh, mental health uh, uh, crises that children would go through, through the disruption of school and everything else having to do with lockdowns, loss of work, and uh, that sort of thing. That was back in uh, end of March, early April last year. No one covered it. I did. The reason I did on my radio show was because I was doing a lot of monologues on covid And uh, we were posting them on YouTube and YouTube uh, censored each and every one. And when we finally reached uh, the shirts, the suits at at YouTube, they said our policy is in discussing COVID, you can only quote and use governmental sources. So I engaged in an experiment 
and I gave a monologue simply reciting Eleanor McCann's Katz's speech and identifying it as hers. YouTube took it down. That no one wanted anyone to have any kind of ancillary views about what these lockdowns, shutdowns, and school closings would do to children when we were warning about it in April. And it wasn't a huge guessing game as to what would happen. And now the receipts are in. You now have the American Academy of Pediatrics issuing a general warning. They told you that uh, emergency department visits for mental health emergencies increased 24% for children ages 5 and 11, 31% for children 12 to 17, 51% emergency department visits over suspected suicide attempts for women ages 12 to 17. On and on it goes. Uh, And then, of course, you have the substance use or the drug abuse problem in this country, which has skyrocketed 25 percent year over year, 100,000 deaths, 100,000 deaths. That's a 900 percent increase since you were in the Reagan administration. You know, you know, I just heard a father on uh, on TV uh, talking about his daughter died of fentanyl. And the interviewer said, so an overdose, he said, no, what an overdose. She didn't die of an overdose. She, she was poisoned. Uh, Let me leave it right there. It. She was poisoned. That's the right terminology. We get into that. We get into the euphemisms of this problem, of all our problems, in the rest of this interview. You can check it out in full. We spoke for about an hour and a half about everything that's been in the news this year over at the Bill Bennett Show. He has a podcast. comes out once a week. The new version with me will come out on Monday. You can check it out at The Bill Bennett Show. And uh, it's happy to give you, uh, and by the uh, by dint of uh, the, the graciousness of the work over there, they were happy to supply us with a few excerpts from the interview to tease it a little bit and uh, thought you might be interested in some of that. We will be right back. Meeting with some friends at lunch, we were talking about C.S. Lewis a bunch. You've heard me talking about C.S. Lewis a bunch. And I was thinking, what could I say to you uh, the day before Christmas Eve? If you have the chance to go back and read his uh, essay on living in the age of the atomic, living in an atomic age, replace atomic age with COVID, he says, if we are all going to be destroyed, let when it comes, we'll let that destruction when it comes find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep, thinking about destruction. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. I thought that was a very nice Christmas message, but nice, a very important Christmas message, but nothing so important as his conclusion in this speech, the conclusion of his speech. The sacrifice is not so great as it seems. Nothing is more likely to destroy a species or a nation than a determination to survive at all costs. Those who care for something else more than civilization are the only people by whom civilization is at all likely to be preserved. Those who want heaven must have served earth best. Those who love man less than God do most for man. 
I'm Seth Liebson. Have a very, very, very Merry Christmas. God bless and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.